0: So we should settle this at the top of the episode instead of the back of the episode.
1: Are you it, I think I know what you're going to talk about. Are you is going to talk about movie? whether or not it's a Christmas
0: movie? <laughs> is this a Christmas movie? Answer, I have my answer. What is your answer? We need to we need to settle this now.
1: Um I I think it's I don't know. I think the debate's kind of dumb. <laughs> Okay. I think it's whatever whatever you want to watch on Christmas is a Christmas movie in your heart. (laughs) That's how you feel about it. That's what it is.
0: (laughs) That's true. But this is also factually a Christmas movie. Let me explain. It does
1: have a lot of Christmas music in it.
0: Yes. But here's why. And I I saw Mm -hmm. that I'm not going to take credit for this. I read this on Reddit a while ago and I heard this and I'm like, this is the best explanation ever. And I think a movie can be certifiably called a Christmas movie if. Christmas, the holiday, plays a pivotal part in the plot happening, and in this case, it does because That's true it does. Yeah, without Christmas, you wouldn't get the party, you wouldn't get less people at the building. You needed Christmas to happen. Now, this is also why Die Hard Two, which also takes place on a Christmas or on Christmas Eve, is not a Christmas movie because it does not need to be Christmas for that entire movie to happen.
1: So, That's
0: very true. Die Hard One, it's a Christmas movie. Debate settled. Everyone else who disagrees is wrong.
1: I also think that it is important that in a Christmas movie, somebody's heart grows two, three sizes that day. Mm -hmm. And that does happen in this movie. Both, uh, you know, John McClane's heart grows and also um, Al's heart grows and he learns how to shoot people again. So I think both of those things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what a great, that's aged well in 2020. He learned how to shoot again. (laughs) Hey everyone, welcome to Adapted for Your Viewing. My name is David and I watch too many movies.
1: And my name is Amanda and I read too many books. We are Brother and Sister, and this is our podcast for nerds, where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on, and tell you which one is worth consuming.
0: Uh-huh, and today we will be talking about a classic, Die Hard. So this includes the 1979 novel uh, titled Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. <laughs> <an> amazing title. <laughs> an amazing title, and the 1988 movie directed by John McTerry.
1: It's Christmas Eve in LA. California. Is Daddy
0: coming home with you? Well, we'll see what and Santa and
1: Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop John McLean has come to see his wife. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. If you are unfamiliar, don't worry. We'll be doing... <laughs> How? But also don't How
0: but also We'll be,
1: <laughs> we'll be doing a spoiler free chat for the first half of our episode. And if you are familiar and don't really care about spoilers on this particular book to movie combo, stick around. If you're unfamiliar and you're still listening to this episode, it's because you like it when things are named cool things. And I respect that about you.
0: Yeah, I wonder if there's just a loner who is just like, die hard. <laughs> now that's a title. I gotta listen to this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we are going to give you a brief summary on the story, and I did pull this from Amazon because uh, they reprinted this book at its tw- 25th anniversary, and I thought it was a really great summary on the differences between like the book and movie adaptations. Oh, that's
0: summary. cool. Yeah. All right, let's do it.
1: Yeah, Uh, so high atop a Los Angeles skyscraper, an office Christmas party turns into a deadly cage match between a lone New York City cop and a gang of international terrorists. Every action fan knows it could only be the explosive big screen blockbuster Die Hard. But before Bruce Willis blew away audiences as the unstoppable hero John McClane, author Roderick Thorpe, what a name, knocked out thriller readers with this bestseller that started it all. A dozen heavily armed terrorists have taken hostages, issued demands, and promised bloodshed all according to plan, but they haven't counted on a death-defying one-man cavalry with no shoes, no backup, and no intention of going down easily as Joe Leland attempts to thwart the plans of Anton Gruber in order to keep his daughter, (laughs) Stephanie Gennaro, safe. So that's the summary. And I thought the, the differences were pretty funny.
0: Oh, man. I can't wait to talk about Anton. <laughs> He's such a crazy villain.
1: All right. He really is. <laughs> oh, man. So, David, what was your first experience with Die Hard, the story? I,
0: I don't think I could tell you a first experience because Die Hard has just felt like it's been a part of our lives forever. It really so much happened. so that – I do know for a fact that we watched this when I was at no age that it would be appropriate for me to watch Die Hard.
1: Probably, yeah.
0: Like, I have just... uh, Some of my earliest memories from, like, the holidays are from watching Die Hard. Um, So it's just always been a part of our family, it feels like.
1: Yeah, I don't quite know where we made the shift. There was one part... There was one time in our family where... The movie that we watched right after Thanksgiving dinner where we kicked off officially our Christmas movie marathons was It's a Wonderful Life. And we would all fall asleep on the couch because that movie is way too long and it's in black and white and it's nice and slow paced and we would all fall asleep scattered across the living room. And then we'd Mm -hmm. wake up (laughs) and a couple hours later we would go Christmas shopping in the freezing cold. That was the original tradition. And somewhere along the lines, we replaced that with Die Hard. And I'm not like mad about it, but I don't know when that
0: happened. I don't really know when we
1: watching this all the time.
0: Yeah, because for a while there it it was we had those very wholesome movies. And then like somewhere. It switched in us where we were like, Wholesome's great and all, but what if we watched Die Hard and Jurassic Park and (laughs) just a bunch of action movies instead of Christmas movies?
1: Yeah, now Die Hard is officially the movie we used to kick off our Christmas movie marathon. And it is the movie that we end our Christmas movie marathon on. So it both begins and ends Christmas for us.
0: I I also feel like I watched this movie like three times a year easily.
1: Yeah. Because there's a, there's a time in the summer where you also definitely feel like watching this movie.
0: So I feel like this is this is not just a Christmas movie. This, much like John McClane, is an every-person movie. It's an every-man's <laughs> movie. Like, it really is. Low-class, high-class, wherever you came, whatever walk of life. <laughs> Die Hard is the movie for you.
1: Yeah. So
0: do you want to hear about this original book? I really side? do. Because I'm going to be honest. I... Did not plan on doing Die Hard ever, because I just thought it yeah. was some random movie. Until like last year when we started doing this podcast, at the top of the movie, I saw it was based on a book and I was like, this is amazing. I now have an excuse to talk about my favorite action movie of all time for an hour. We have yes. to do this episode.
1: Yes. So it was quickly added to our list. And on top of it, it's a movie from, or it's a book from 1979. And I've watched... Um, Have you watched on Netflix the the Movies That Made Us? It's like a documentary series. Yes. Yes. So good. Highly recommend. They do an episode on Die Hard, and they basically talk about the production of the movie, which is fascinating. So actually, I assume that they had changed quite a bit, and the plot points are surprisingly similar. Mm -hmm. But uh, so basically, this book came from, it's actually a sequel to a book called The Detective, uh, which is... Thorpe's like first book, um, He it was turned into a movie, and he actually wrote the sequel with a movie in mind, uh, and he wanted Frank Sinatra to star in it, which is huh. amazing. Huh. Yeah. Much so he different wrote movie. It, <laughs> yes. He wrote it with Frank Sinatra in mind. Um, and the idea came because he saw a different movie called The Towering Inferno, which is about a skyscraper that catches on fire. And then he took a nice nap and dreamed about a man being chased through the skyscraper uh, from men with guns. And he woke up and he's like, I have a great idea, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is awesome. Uh, That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, incredible. He's written several books. Five of them were made into movies. He wrote uh, 13 books and five of them were made into movies. Uh, and his background is, uh, he taught like creative writing and stuff, but before that he grew up in the Bronx and worked at a detective agency that was owned by his father. So that's his background. Yeah. So that's why it's like this hard grizzled detective in, uh, in the book.
0: I'm going to be honest. So I, I, I looked up his, uh, Wikipedia page to see what his other movies were. I have no I idea <laughs> these, what these movies are, and that I mean I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I mean the last one is a movie called Deep Down from 1994, and there yeah. isn't even a Wikipedia link for it, guys. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. so Die Hard is definitely his uh, his number one hit.
0: Yeah, that's a that's yeah. a pretty shining star. I mean, if my my bang was Die Hard. I would not be upset about that, you know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah no kidding. Definitely. <laughs> uh, what about movie facts, David? Oh, there
0: are so many, Amanda. There are so many. I re- <laughs> I wrote like a ton, and then I looked at a ton. It is. This is one of those where we could do an entire episode or two dedicated really to hurt. the production yeah. of this movie. Yeah. It's so super I would. I would recommend, like you said, the movies that made us. That was a good thing. I mean, there's so many videos and information and articles on the making of this movie. Just like go check it out. It's especially if you love this movie like me. This is like a very fun little thing to check out. Um, But some uh, some interesting facts I saw first a more casual one. Uh, Nakatomi Plaza is the headquarters for 20th Century Fox at the time. Uh, It still charged rent because the building was unfinished, which is how you got some of those cool unfinished scaffolding scenes. But uh, it's cool. They just kind of kept it in house. Kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my favorite parts about the film is the how like absolutely disgusting Bruce Willis gets throughout the movie. (laughs) And there is like definitely some obvious parts that you see. His shirt is changed out for one that's dirtier. Uh, yeah. The costume department actually made 17 undershirts with various stages of blood and dirt and disgustingness for Bruce Willis to wear during the movie. <laughs> so <great. laughs>
1: there is a very clear moment when he goes from having a white shirt to a green shirt. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it goes from like a clean white
0: shirt to kind of kind of a nasty green shirt to a full on like b- dark brownish shirt yeah mm-hmm. uh which is truly disgusting I, I understand it's only one night but it's so it's truly disgusting yeah uh so what i was a little shocked by is that this is the debut movie at least for a hollywood movie for alan rickman um yeah. you know he had mostly Amazing. did british tv He was about 41 at the time. He was a little nervous about taking a villainous role, but like obviously he killed it. It's one of his best roles.
1: And Uh, he's probably the best part of this movie.
0: Easily. I mean, I think we're going to get into this about discussion, but I mean, the movie would not be what it is without Alan Rickman. He
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Destroys the role. Uh, (laughs) One thing that I want to watch the movie again for. Uh, is apparently the scenes where John McClane is running through glass shards with his bare feet they had made him special like rubber looking feet to put over his feet so apparently if you just like pause the movie you can see he just has like big foot feet (laughs) running through glass Uh, so if you pause it really quick you can see his like nasty little rubber big foot feet <laughs> Gross. Uh, another alternate universe. Uh, Clint Eastwood originally owned the rights to the novel, mm-hmm. uh, and originally had planned to produce and star in it himself.
1: Interesting. That would have been very different.
0: <laughs> a Clint Eastwood diehard would be a very different diehard.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And they probably would have kept the title. Nothing lasts forever. Yeah. Which would have been a big mistake. A huge mistake, yeah. That heard much better. Much better. And probably the most shocking thing for everyone, uh, Roger Ebert originally gave it a negative review. The most famous movie critic of all time said he didn't like it. Uh, and one of his main reasons is because he hated the character, Chief <laughs> Dwayne Robinson, who is like... I mean, we all did. <laughs> I mean, that was the point, Ebert. We were supposed to hate him. And not only that... Is that, like, he is a tertiary character. Like, he yeah. is, like, when I think of Die Hard, I have to go through, like, 50 other characters to ever get to Dwayne Robinson. So, like, yeah. it was, like, the nitpicks of nitpicks for Mr. Roger Ebert on why he gave it yeah. a negative review. He eventually did turn around, but I think that's just hilarious.
1: <laughs> that's very funny. Uh, that's why I could never do, like, actual, like, like published movie reviews I just feel like it's it's too it's too subjective. Things change so much. But.
0: Uh, you say that, but we put hour long episodes of our opinions <laughs> on things for the whole world to see. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, <laughs> I, I never go back and say, you know what? I was wrong about this episode. I stand by every <laughs> single word.
1: In fact, I wish I went harder.
0: In fact, I wish I went harder on something like Ready Player Two, how couldn't or Star Wars? We should have put the raw, uncut four-hour episode of us complaining, complaining. about <laughs> about whatever the last Star Wars movie was. I can't even remember the name.
1: Uh, I will say I have two additional movie facts that I okay, absolutely let's love.
0: Let's go for it. There's so many. It's so hard to choose
1: the ones I wanted so to talk many about. Good one. Uh, so my one of my absolute favorite facts about this is that. Um, Uh, that they were, the studio was so nervous about taking a chance on Bruce Willis that they refused to put him on any movie posters because he was like a soap star. Basically, he was like a comedian star and they didn't think anybody would take him seriously. And in fact, a lot of people were upset that he was cast in this role. Isn't that hilarious? That's why like this is his role. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. And he has been doing action since this. Yeah. So I just thought it was so funny that everyone's like this loser and so different today. Um, That and then on top of it, uh, because he was still filming uh, his show, he had a very uh, strict – like he had a very tight window for filming the movie. And so because of that, they actually added a lot more with all the extra characters and thank God because the extra characters are so good in this movie. And I don't think the movie would be the same if like, we didn't have as much, you know, as much, uh, I just want to call him Carl Winslow, but that's not his name. Oh no. As much like (laughs) Reginald Bell Johnson, uh, you know, Argyle gets like his own little thing. Um, Like, Hans, I feel like, is such a better character because we spend so much more time with him. All of it is wonderful.
0: Oh, yeah. I have a list of random character moments later in the episode I want to go through. But I completely agree with you. Uh, But that saying, let's get into our discussion about Die Hard and the adaptation from Nothing Lasts Forever. Amanda, what do you think... You know, taking both into consideration here, because it, this is going to be a, an interesting conversation because I have a lot of things to say about the book. Taking them both into play, what do you think about the story of Die Hard or Nothing Lasts Forever?
1: You know, it's fun. It's um, it's a Lone Ranger kind of story with a guy in the wrong place at the right time to, like, thwart a plot that's going on. And uh, I think the the movie has become, like, very iconic to the point where like it other movies and things have lifted its structure and put its own spin on it uh but very much follow like the same beats um so i think it's fun it's it's very hard not to enjoy it uh not to root for this guy who's trying to save a bunch of hostages um i don't know about you but i always like <laughs> i always thought about like as a kid being like in a weird place like at night like not necessarily a corporate building but like a mall at night or something like that and uh having like the lay of the land of it (laughs) Uh but it's very much like you know like it's it has like (laughs) such a a good charm to it that it's really enjoyable and it's a fun action from beginning to end what about you David what do you think about it
0: I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, my answer is it's Die Hard. I mean, if we're talking about strictly, it, it's Die Hard. So that tells you all you need to know. I mean, so yep. much though that, I mean, action movies, like, all spawn from this movie. I mean, now mm-hmm. whenever you see a movie that kind of has to do with one guy versus many, they call it like, Die Hard on a Plane, Die yep. Hard on a Car, Die Hard in a Bus, Die Hard on a Boat, like, yeah, like, so much so that it just became like a cliché that all these movies were diehard and just in a different setting so i mean it kind of just defined a genre of action movie that wasn't there before and to me it is like the movie that transitions you from like those typical like 80s action movies of like big buff dudes shooting things like Mm -hmm. those sort of I'm going to call them I'm not a big fan of a lot of those movies to be honest those like kind of bland one note action movies to action movies that feel like it has a lot of character I feel like we Mm -hmm. wouldn't get a lot of movies everything from Marvel Mm -hmm. to Fast and Furious without this type of movie
1: absolutely well do you feel the same way about the book as you do about the movie no
0: no (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird because for people who will never read this book, it's shockingly very similar to the movie. Yeah. Uh, like by a beat by beat standpoint, it's like yeah. there's a lot of things that happen the same. A lot of this was honestly just feeling like I was reading a book that was like uh, one of those uh, like movie novelizations or something like mm-hmm.
1: that. Yeah.
0: Um, but it feels like I'm reading the same plot with – completely different characters. Yeah. <laughs> and so it just seems like a more edgier version of Die Hard. It's almost like yeah. if you took everything the opposite of what I just said, you know, <laughs> of of Die Hard being like this transitional movie for action movies. This is much more a plot that and character uh that lie within that old style of like 80s action movie storytelling. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Well, it's very much I think a product of the 70s too. It's very bleak. Um mm-hmm. the guy is very old. He's doing like some questionable things in it and he's very much um unapologetic about it, which is weird at times. Um yeah, it's it it feels like a darker noir instead of the fun kind of lighthearted action flick that we think of when we think of Die Hard. And yeah. I don't think it helps that like it's the way it's written is kind of like a stream of consciousness from the main character whereas in Die Hard we jump from like different characters a lot so we see the plot coming together a lot easier in the book um especially the way he like writes action and the things happening, like it'll literally be one of the, like we both know the plot. So we know at this point Mm -hmm. he has to get into the air duct to be safe, but he will, while he's in the middle of doing something like extremely tense and like high risk, he will have like a flashback to like his first girlfriend or something like that. Yeah. It's super strange. And we'll spend a lot of time there and he'll talk about like, his trouble with relationships and all of a sudden he's jumping from one ledge to the other and you can almost miss it. So you miss like some of the action and all of a sudden he's like somewhere else. So it's – whereas like in Die Hard, all the action is very crisp. You know like all of the stakes at all times – um, you can feel the tension in every moment and you feel uh, Bruce Willis's character kind of ad-libbing as he goes. And that is not the same character as the main character from the book.
0: Yeah, and I think one big distinction is, well, two, one, the character in the book's name is Joe Leland, not mm-hmm. John McClane, which is mm-hmm. a very obvious downgrade in my opinion. Yes, uh, he's but a also
1: World War II vet.
0: Yes, that's what I was about to say. Joe Leland is not just some Joe Schmo cop. Yeah. He is someone who fought in a war, um, mm-hmm. has talked about like being in these types of situations before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he doesn't feel like just some random guy, which is kind of one of the most appealing parts about Die Hard is that you have yeah. this random cop who's kind of problem-solving as he goes, And to an extent, Joe Leland's doing that, but you get a sense that this guy is not just some random guy. He is a a one-man army versus Mm -hmm. a bunch of terrorists, whereas, um, you know, John McClane is this everyday man just trying to get by and figure things out as they go.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the, the hugest differences are that Joe Leland has, like, tons of background in setting up security and like dealing with like high risk scenarios. Like he literally talks about how he wrote the book on so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he recognizes Gruber immediately. So he already knows like what kind of criminal he is. He knows about his history. Um, so we don't have as fun of a face off as we do in the movie. Like my favorite scene in the movie is when Hans and, and, uh, John mcclain come face to face, and we know that they kind of know that the other person is the other person, or that they're figuring it out. But we don't know like how if they figured it out yet. What's happening? Mm-hmm. There's like a cool fake out in that scene, and it's fantastic. And we get to see our two characters interact in like a non-lethal scenario, um, which is super cool. And we don't really get that in the book.
0: Oh yeah. The book, again, I think it's something that if you'd like to see where some of this came from, it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting read. But it especially as you get towards the last quarter of the book, it is a completely different story that we'll talk yeah. about in our spoiler section.
1: Yes, very different. Um, and to be honest, it kind of dragged for me. You know, it's like a 200 and 50 page book maybe and it took me a surprisingly long time to read through it despite it being like an action
0: book. I'll be honest I read this in like an afternoon I actually had the opposite experience <laughs> but Did it wasn't you really? it wasn't so much because I necessarily wanted to it's just because I had a free afternoon so I was like well let's mm-hmm. just get this book out of the way but it took me a
1: while I, th- I felt I felt getting I felt like I was getting bored during it a bit.
0: I think what's interesting too is the book also has like a couple extra characters that mm-hmm. especially towards the end of the book, there's a scene where all these different characters are kind of passing off to each other on mm-hmm. television, but also on the radio. That uh-huh. is just absolutely bananas. That I'll talk about in the spoiler section, but it is, it and is just in the section okay. as well. <laughs> it is just a wild scene in a book yeah, uh, a that did not need to be there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So, David, would you recommend people read this book?
0: Uh, I think the hardest of Die Hard fans may want to check out just from morbid curiosity. But to be honest, the Die Hard movie gives you everything you really want from this type of story. So my recommendation is just watch Die Hard another time (laughs) if you feel like you need more Die Hard. They also have plenty of sequels, guys. (laughs)
1: <laughs> true i would kind of agree with that i think all the good parts of the book were made stronger in the movie i think they made some really smart adaptation choices in the characters and the action and those are the best parts of the movie so uh i don't know i i guess it's fun if you want to give it if you want to like check it out but i probably will never read it again and i don't think i'll be recommending it too much
0: it's all you need to know yeah, yeah.
1: uh but yeah watch this movie
0: Yeah, I was going to say, usually this is when I say, should you watch the movie, Amanda? And you say, you know, whatever your opinion is. But I think it's pretty clear you should go watch this movie, guys.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really get old. And it's more fun the more you watch it. And uh, with watching it with a bunch of people is fun, too. So
0: actually, if you haven't seen Die Hard, I want to know you. Like, (laughs) I
1: I don't know someone who has the first time you watch it. If you're a first time Die Hard watcher, I kind
0: of want to get your feedback. I have been painted by years of watching Die Hard, so I do want to know what is it like with a fresh pair of eyes watching the movie? That's a good way to end our non spoiler section. Let's finally talk about all these spoilers that we just can't wait to talk about.
1: Yes, tons of opinions. Like. Come out to the coast,
0: we'll get together, have a few laughs.
1: And a hard man to kill. Bruce Willis. Die hard. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew?
0: Amanda, so what did you uh, think of the adaptation?
1: I love the adaptation. I think um, they made a lot of really smart choices for the screen. Um, I think, uh, first of all, the j- the name is a huge upgrade. We'll just acknowledge that right away. Um, they changed uh, hit John McClane, the main character's relationship to instead of it being father-daughter, it is now estranged husband and wife. Mm -hmm. And even just the tension between they were fighting right before this horrible thing happened. And not only may he not get a chance to see his wife, but they would be ending things on sad terms. He never had a chance to like resolve things with her. Like that emotional Mm -hmm. tension is just great. And even though it results in like these really corny talks over the radio that literally everybody is listening in on and nobody acknowledges that. Mm -hmm. I love it still. It gives it such like a nice heartbeat to the movie. Um, So it's really easy not to just like root for John McClane because we just don't want him physically to take any more damage and get dirtier. But we also want him to reconnect with Holly Gennaro and uh, turn his life around. And I think that's a really unique like emotional core to an action movie. That not a lot of action movies are able to pull off.
0: Yeah. And it's really important because the audience needs something to care about. Because in the book, it is between uh, Joe Leland and his daughter. But it comes out that his daughter's kind of a terrible person. And then also it's about terrorists actually being terrorists but also yeah. the company's building that he's in is also pretty evil. So it's how about everything's evil. So the movie doesn't really have – or the, the book, I should say, doesn't really have this, like, center that you're rooting for. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of gets a little messy towards the end. Yeah. Whereas the movie has, like, everything you could possibly hope for in terms of what's keeping you engaged in the story.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, like, the stunts and, like, the action sequences, like, ramp up. But it's not even, like – like, you can definitely feel the tension getting higher and higher. And the cops are creeping in closer. The FBI are creeping in closer. uh. And you're trying to figure out like Hans's scheme the whole time. I think that was the most fun part of watching it with somebody who hadn't seen it before is he was like, why is Hans so okay with the FBI showing up? Why does he want the FBI to show up? And we're like, ooh, we forgot that that's like a plot point that you figure out throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fun to see somebody like try and put the pieces together before. And so it's it's a very enjoyable part of the movie that I really don't give it enough credit. The fact that Hans has such a good plan is great.
0: Yeah, he's a, a great smart, villain. engaging villain. Well, yeah. and I, we're kind of getting into some of our favorite parts here. Mm-hmm. And I would say that my most favorite part about this movie is all of the character moments because yes. it just, it lightens the movie, but also. Mm-hmm like just shows how much attention was given to everyone on the movie. So so let me name off just some random things that I notice every single time that always gets me to laugh, okay? Uh, when Mr. Takashi dies, Carl gives money to another terrorist showing that he lost some sort of bet.
1: Yes. Gets a hilarious. giggle out of
0: me. And such a small thing. It's like not only are these guys evil, they're betting on how evil they are. Yeah. Um, there is – uh, a part where the FBI is sort of raiding the building and a terrorist is downstairs <laughs> and he sees a crunch bar and a display case. So naturally he takes it out mm-hmm. and starts eating it. Amazing.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Uh,
0: the terrorist getting Ellis a Coke right before he <laughs> dies. Yep. makes me laugh every single time. Yep. Uh, the FBI agents names are Johnson, Johnson. and special agent Johnson. <laughs>
1: And they say there's no relation and they look
0: nothing alike. (laughs) And it makes me laugh every single time. There's like another part with the two agents where they're in a helicopter and -hmm. the older guy is like, man, this makes me feel like I'm back at Nam." And the other agent is like, yo, I was in kindergarten when when you were
1: in Vietnam. It was like I was in junior high.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. It makes me laugh. Uh, And the thing that gets me every time with this movie is because I remember as a kid Watching this, our dad always forgot about the scene where John McClane is going through the air ducts and he's going back and forth between this location where there Mm -hmm. is a poster of some topless woman and it's just random boobs. And our dad forgot about this random boobs every single time. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) And every time he was like, oh, shoot. But he was happy because the scene quickly ends after it shows them the first time. (laughs) Then, of course, they come up the second time yeah Wa- watching it with a more keen eye i realized why the boobs are there amanda and it's to center yourself in a location so you understand yeah. as they're walking through all these different rooms where they are and that's yeah, why the boobs are there for that
1: room yep uh-huh. <laughs> it's to make you pay attention
0: <laughs> even the boobs have a, a plot reason
1: Amanda. <laughs> Yes, they do. Um, I will say some of my favorite character moments. Uh I also like love the little details. I love when um when the FBI, yeah, when the cops are raiding and they're running through the bushes and some guy gets like he like he gets brushed by like thorns because he's like running through thorn bushes. It makes me laugh every single time. He's just like ah ow ow. Makes And it almost feels like they
0: accidentally had that in the in the editing uh mm-hmm. room and we're just like now nah, let's keep it when they were ended love, up watching the movie
1: I love that part I love it when uh the roof explodes uh when they shoot down the helicopter with the FBI guys in it and um the guy in charge what's that guy's name he's like the principal from uh from I'm talking Club? about
0: Dwayne Robinson Yeah Dwayne-, Dwayne Robinson <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's like the the police chief or something like that. He's like, we're going to need some more FBI guys. Yeah. All of his lines make me laugh so bad. Like when Hans falls at the end and he's like, oh, I hope that's not a hostage. <laughs> yeah. All his lines are amazing. Um I also love when John McClane gets to this, the roof and he's trying to call for help on the radio on like an emergency line. And the guy, the lady's like, if this is an emergency, you need to call 911. And she, he's like, what do you think I'm doing? Trying to order a pizza? It's it makes <laughs> fun every single time.
0: Well, uh, that that comes to my next session. What is your favorite quote from the movie? Because I had a hard time, a very hard time trying to figure out what it was.
1: Uh, I don't know there's a lot of really good lines. I really like when he when he's like when John McClane is having a rough go and he gets into the air duct and he like lights the the um the lighter and it like brightens up the entire thing and he's like, come to LA. We'll have a good time. We'll have a few laughs. I think that part makes me laugh every single time and I think it's because it reminds me so much of our dad. I think it
0: reminds everyone (laughs) of their dads. That's why it's so great.
1: (laughs) He's like grueling through the process of trying to do something right and like nothing is going well for him. Nobody is on his side and he's like, why did I even come to this horrible place? (laughs) And he like blames LA for it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I have like two very similar moments to that there's a moment where uh john mcclain is talking to al powell back down there and alice is yeah. talking to him and he's asking him how he feels and he's like i feel feel pretty under and appreciated right now gets me <laughs> because like sometimes in my life when i'm just having a hard day i'm like man really <laughs> that's what i think to myself um cool. And then, of course, the part I always forget about because it's surrounded by two other great scenes is Mm -hmm. the scene where Ellis uh, um, kind of exposes John. He's talking to John on the phone and he's like, John, Bobby, or is he? No, he's Hans. (laughs) Hans, Bobby.
1: Yes. Yes. Any anytime Hans is like interacting with people, it's so good. He is so good in this movie.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really because he is not. I mean, let's talk in terms of the difference between Hans in the movie and the character in the book whose name is um, Anton Anton Gruber, but they call him Little Little Tony.
1: Tony. (laughs) It's not intimidating whatsoever. Which is so much less. Uh, well, let, let's
0: start with this. What did you think of little Tony or Anton Gruber in the book?
1: Um, uh, I mean, I think he could have been fine. We don't spend almost any time with him, which doesn't help. Um, the only thing we know about him is that he likes to he has a flair for the dramatic. He likes to t- he likes to pin a boutonniere to somebody's lapel before shooting them through it when he assassinates people. That's, like, the only okay. detail we get about him. He's pretty young. Um, he seems to have mostly ladies on his SWAT team, which is interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, yeah, he's taking over the tower because he's trying to steal the, like, $6 million that this oil company just made a deal with uh, that he believes has been, like, stolen from the people, essentially, in, like, Chile, I want to say, Um so he's just kind of less interesting. He seems a little bit less smart. Uh, there's like a couple of like cat and mouse plays. But because we only see it from uh, Leland's point of view, it doesn't, it's not as exciting. Um, and then he dies like a chump at the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, he just kind of dies like a chump. <laughs> I think the most confusing part about his character, and I could not get over this near the end of the book, is so he is a German terrorist. Is he? With. Yes, so he's a German terrorist. He's from okay. Germany. They made okay. associations with him and Nazis, so... Okay. He's kind of a, like, low-key Nazi. Um okay. He goes he by hit, a like- nickname. I know. He goes by a nickname <laughs> that sounds Italian, and he's fighting for a country that he has no association with in Chile. And yeah. so... His character makes no sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's just like
0: a grab bag of foreign countries around the 70s that people were paying attention to.
1: And I think that's like my biggest problem probably with the book. In the movie, like Hans is not just playing – he's not just playing this game where he is posing as a terrorist uh, in order to rob – this company he is also like playing the media very well where he's giving them hints and like cues and like he's he's smart so he's letting them kind of hype up this story that's not real so throughout the movie we're cutting to the media being like oh my gosh one of my favorite jokes is when it's like hostage terrorist terrorist hostage the like book that the lady was talking about <laughs> it gets where they're me like, every single
0: time oh too. my
1: gosh it cracks me up and they're like the right now the hostages are forming a unique bond with their terrorist captors and then like it cuts to the scene and everybody's still absolutely terrified of whatever's happening behind the scene well there's
0: because- a, there's a dead body of ellis getting dragged yes. through the scene yeah. as they're yeah. saying that it's yeah. hilarious <laughs>
1: And that's just – it's so good. So I don't know if that just wasn't – like maybe that's unique to the 80s, like that commentary and the commentary they wanted to make in the book was unique to the 70s about something. But the weirdest part is that not just that (laughs) little Tony has this plan that doesn't really make any sense, but then at the end, Leland does his plan. So he like – Yeah. He wants – little Tony wants to – Get as much media attention as possible. He wants to be put on TV at some point, and then he wants to throw the six million dollars out to the people of LA, mm-hmm. and that's what Leland does at the end. So I don't get it. I guess I yeah.
0: It's the book, especially gets really messy towards the end. So mm-hmm. there is basically Leland doing. The job of the terrorist, which, I mean, I guess is on purpose, but doesn't really make sense when you get yeah. to that part of the, the the novel. There is also this, like, weird uh, set of scenes that they didn't include in the movie where the media has now caught on to what's going on. Mm-hmm. They The media has patched into Leland's radio that he's using. On Leland's radio, there is this random character named Taco Bill who has yes. godlike powers over the radio frequencies, which is hilarious. <laughs> yes. And th- so he is talking to Taco Bill. He is talking to the news station. He is talking to Al Powell, who's still in there, who's on the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. He is talking to a stewardess that he flirted with on the airplane before he got to LA. Yeah. Um, is there any other characters I'm missing? There's like, f- oh, in The no. Terrorist.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot going on.
0: So there's it's a scene where all of them are talking at the same time, and it's super yeah. confusing.
1: Well, not it's not one scene. They do it a lot. It is like the entire half of the second, like the second half of the book is them constantly going back and forth. He's like watching TV. It happens over a longer period of time too. So it's not just like all in one night. It goes into the next day. It's kind of weird. I'll be honest. <laughs>
0: Yeah, also Taco Bill, what kind of name is that?
1: And he, <laughs> he I mean, was the most random character. There was definitely like a lot of jokes where I'm like, I think this is a joke for people who lived during this time. because It had to be. Cu- there's a couple times where he's like, blah, 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 this. He's like, you know, you know. He's like, he knows what that means. And I'm like, what? What does it mean? <laughs> Can you tell us what he means?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other crazy changes from the book. Okay.
1: um, There is a huge crazy change that I gasped when I read it. You okay, want to yeah, it?
0: you say it because I think you and I are on the same page here.
1: Um, Leland does not save his daughter in the end. He shoots Gruber and then Gruber pulls his daughter through the window and they both die.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty dour story. It's it's not, so not great. Weird.
1: and then that's when he goes nuts and he throws all the, the money out the window and he's like convinced the police are coming to kill him and then he gets escorted out and Han shows up again at the last minute wait who shows Carl shows up again at the last Uh-oh. minute and gets shot by Al. Um, the other crazy thing that happens is that Al Powell shoves his his superior officer in front of Leland yeah. to take the bullets for him. He murders his captain, and it we're all crazy. supposed to be okay
0: with it. Yeah, that was actually what I was gonna say. Is like Al in the <laughs> book is like this character who kills his superior, which. You know, this entire time in this book, we are in Leland's head. And to be honest, Leland toward the end of the book sounded completely paranoid, like, like a maniac. And so we're at this point where he's like, all of the police are after me, everyone's after me. And as the reader, I'm like, oh, he's just clearly going crazy. And so when Carl comes out, starts shooting, and then Al... Rose Dwayne Robinson, who's done very little up to this point. (laughs)
1: Literally nothing wrong.
0: (laughs) You're just like, what is going on? I should not be rooting for these people.
1: (laughs) Well, and that's the problem because, like, in the movie, you really feel the frustration of the police not really grasping what's going on, the FBI then on top of it stepping in and thinking they know what they're doing and not taking the time to really understand the situation, how frustrating that is. In the book, you kind of like he like Leland is going on like a murder spree. And they're like, please stop murdering people. Please just stay where you are and let us handle the negotiations. And he's like, I took another one out. I'm going for the next one. And they're like, Please stop murdering people. We don't even know what's happening yet. And he's like, nah, yeah. I got this.
0: Yeah, it's- after his daughter dies, he goes to seek out Carl and the other terrorists to kill them. Oh my gosh, there is... Okay, I know we're going to keep going on this book, but there is one other part of this book that made me laugh so hard. Um, mm-hmm. What was it? So there is this part kind of midway through the book where Leland's kind of getting used to killing. There's like this weird thing where he feels bad about killing, but he turns into a murderer. It's Ooh, it's weird, guys. It's- um but about halfway through the, the movie or through the novel, he gets an axe by getting like the. He breaks the glass to get the axe for like the fire mm-hmm. escape or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he finds a terrorist and he brings it down on this poor girl's head and splits her mm-hmm. skull open and kills her and does it in a brutal detail. And then he says, now we're back in business. And I was like.
1: <laughs> there was also. What? Super, yes, that was super weird. There was also a really weird part where like. It's like in the early morning hours, and he's standing over, again, another woman he just bur- brutally murdered. And he he says, like, in the same sentence, he looks at her body, and then he was like, I could really go for a warm breakfast right about now. Yeah. And he's like, um, I think you need some therapy, my friend. This is not going well for you. Yeah. It, the the
0: – uh- novel kind of opens up with almost like a critique of the 80s action star and then it just kind of turns him into one it's it's super strange and inconsistent
1: yeah very strange and then there's the book had like some severe hatred of women going on in it like from (laughs) beginning to end yeah just a little bit there's there's 12 goons that die Um, including, including Gruber out of that, like there's maybe half of those are women and he goes into extreme detail about killing these women. Like the dudes are just like shot and like left for dead. The women are like brutally murdered and it really creeped me out a little bit. And then on top of that, Stephanie, his daughter is painted like a villain at the end. She's like a secretary. First of all, she's not in charge of this company in any way. And then when he she dies, Leland's like, she should have just listened to me. If she would have listened to me, she would have lived. And I'm like, um, this is not great, everybody. I don't like yeah. this.
0: <laughs> I got to say, I, I didn't feel great on Leland's opinion of women when in the... Like, at the start of the book, Leland is telling his daughter, Steffi, on the plane he was flirting with his stewardess. And he says the line... She's older than you, but not by much. And, like, gross. the book has gross. made a point to show that Leland's a pretty old dude. And yeah. and he, like, and like, this character is recurring. This character who's a little bit older than his daughter that he's very yeah. interested in. And it's, it's really gross. creepy. It's really
1: gross, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, okay. Can I talk about uh, Die Hard and one other reason why it's a perfect movie? Absolutely. Continuing to talk about this book. Okay. So uh, the reason why I believe Die Hard is a perfect movie, I believe Die Hard is the perfect setup and payoff movie. Uh Everything about the movie is set up earlier for you to figure out. You can problem solve with John. They give you all the materials for you to figure out how John can also get out of this. And so everything that he does – Feels earned in the audience's yeah. eyes. And so mm-hmm. it just never feels like a stretch for you. Even when he's jumping off buildings, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it still never feels easy and never feels like an ex machina came out of nowhere. Everything mm-hmm. just feels like a setup and payoff. And there's there's just not a lot of fat on the movie.
1: It also um the plot opens up really well. Like in the beginning you're like, oh, it's this. And then the seeds of doubt show up when Hans is like asking for passwords and he's like, whoever said we were terrorists. Wonderful. And then he's so confident and you're like, what is like, what is the actual plan here? And then you realize it kind of as John realizes it, which is great. Um, And then on top of it, yeah, the set pieces are fantastic. Uh, The scene of John McClane jumping off the roof, shooting through a window in order to get through. And then the tension of the, you know, the fire hose falling and him having to pull off the hose before it drags him over. Amazing. Super tense every single time. Uh, My second favorite scene is when he is in the air ducts and the guys are hunting him. Mm -hmm. And he is and the the dude has his gun and he is poking the air duct over and over again and he stops in the one right before where john is fantastic scene just as tense as all the other things but completely different but the stakes are still high just so good it's good action yeah. from beginning to end just beginning to end it's perfect yeah now on the
0: opposite end let's just say do we have any nitpicks here that we want to talk about on this perfect movie. We've established it's perfect. Now let's tear it apart. Is there anything wrong?
1: Um, In the movie, I do always laugh whenever the security guard makes him look up Holly's name. Because they're just doing that to show like the last name switch. And he's like, the 30th floor. And he's like, oh yeah, that's everybody. The only people left in the building are on the 30th floor.
0: <laughs> that yeah. makes me
1: laugh every single time. I know why they're doing it, but... It just seems like the security guard is trying not to be helpful on purpose.
0: Yeah. Also, that scene uh, like with the touch screen is really good at Mm -hmm. aging the movie. Like everything else about the movie is pretty good. If you just take away the fact that people didn't have cell phones, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, The only other thing that really like truly ages it is like when you see the gas prices, like every time you see (laughs) the gas price true <laughs> it just it, it always takes you aback. you're like it's 79 cents a gallon what is going yeah. on what is this fictional world they created
1: there's also no way in hell that carl survives in the movie he was like strung up on chains and strangled to death and then yeah he just i just at the, end, <laughs> the movie him.
0: goes out of its way to show that carl's dead because bruce willis strangles him and you see him dead yeah. Then, as everyone is, is escaping the roof, you also see him dead. And yeah. so, when, like, I will say, I just said this movie's perfect. They don't have any fat. I think if there's anything you genuinely could take out, it is Al Powell's um, character arc of him learning to shoot again, I think.
1: Honestly, I don't hate it. I don't um, hate it. I don't hate it that much. I think... I think it's just the fact that we see very clearly that Carl is dead and then he shows up at the end for a jump scare. That's kind of meh. If he would have, like, died in a more – in the book, and here's the one credit I'll give the book. In the book, Carl dies in an explosion, in the explosion that he sends down uh, when he sends down the explosives through the, the elevator shaft. Uh, he dies, quote, in that explosion. And at the time, like, when John – when John – when Joe – and Leland runs back into the hostages. The hostages are like, oh, we thought you were one of them because of how you look. And at this point, he's like disgusting and dirty. So he's like, oh, that means that somebody survived one of the explosions because they are also dirty like me. And so that tension is kind of set up there. And then when he shows up at the end, you're like, yeah, okay. Um, but the fact that we like very clearly see Carl hanging, not moving – for sure dead for minutes (laughs) minutes guys because not only not only that but then the entire roof explodes and there's no way he got out in time there's no possible way
0: you know it's crazy this movie had like an easy solution for that it's just while everyone is running down they look at the chains and no one's there
1: that would be perfect yeah
0: super anyway but i mean that's that's one weird thing on this otherwise perfect movie
1: do you have any other nitpicks that you want to bring up
0: oh yeah there is like this part of the movie where uh john mcclain is talking to that dispatcher that we talked to earlier through the radio saying someone needs to come to nakatomi plaza there's terrorists blah 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 and then ends with gunshots and then you get the whole air duct scene okay my question is is this is la this is a city okay <laughs> yeah. if anyone is shooting guns on rooftops it yeah. would be pretty obvious that something's going on. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. guns are a little bit loud. I don't know if you knew that. But guns are.
0: This is loud. downtown Los Angeles, and people yeah. are shooting like freaking AKs <laughs> everywhere. And they're like, "I don't think we believe him. Let's send a single cop down."
1: <laughs> yeah, plus cops. That was wild. And the other part I always find really funny is when the SWAT team are going into Nakatomi for the first time and they're taking all that time to try and pick the lock of the front door when the when the doors are just made of glass and they could just shoot the glass (laughs) like a second later, the bad guys shoot the glass and end up shooting all the SWAT guys because they could have just done that from the beginning.
0: It does. I think they were trying to be sneaky though, Amanda, but it wasn't, it wasn't a very good job. Why they didn't just break out a hammer or something even they didn't even have to shoot the glass.
1: I know that makes me laugh every time. Uh, the book is much more egregious because the way that, um, like the way that John McClane lets like the outside world know that something, something weird is going on is he pulls the fire alarm and then he throws a dead body into onto poor, um, or Reginald Val Johnson's car and that's how he alerts them uh in the in the book he like he uses Morse code with a flashlight to like yeah. signal SOS from a window no he didn't that's
0: no, not
1: that's, no, dumb. that's dumb that's dumb
0: <laughs> That's, that's stupid. stupid. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if I saw blinking lights in a building far away, I mean, maybe it's because we're in the year 2020 and no one uses Mars code. But like I would I would think, oh, someone's light is out. They should go fix that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Well, anyway, I'm going to turn on Netflix.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: That was weird. And then the fact that like the terrorists found out about it, they were like, we saw you flashing your lights. I'm like, how how do they do that?
0: how that's, I don't know it's
1: not how eyeballs work book that's not how that's, it works
0: that's not how eyeballs work <laughs> uh anyway so this is a perfect movie go this watch was a it very,
1: yeah this was a fun episode to prep for
0: let me see if I have any other random notes of stuff that I wrote down because I did try to keep notes during this one because I've seen this movie so many times that I wanted new things to talk about
1: mm-hmm.
0: oh I have one last nitpick what (laughs) actually i have i have two things one is a a perfect moment that i forgot about that i want to say again and one's a nitpick uh nitpick wise um what kind of holiday party is this like i understand that like (laughs) i don't know if it's awesome or what it is but like they have this like Frank Lloyd Wright type waterfall in their yeah. main office. And it's like high class music. And then everyone's just having sex in the back rooms and doing coke. Was this yeah. the 80s, Amanda? I wasn't I, alive. I know you I were alive.
1: Was, I was <laughs> two years old in the 80s. So uh-huh, uh-huh. From my perspective, nah, I was pretty tame. So
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my other favorite character <laughs> moment is um, Carl's brother lived a very short life but he goes to check on um the floor that john mcclain is on and john mcclain Mm -hmm. is hiding and when he Mm -hmm. first enters the room he's coming up on him Mm -hmm. and he he cocks his gun so you hear it and then he's like i promise i won't hurt you
1: (laughs) that guy that guy's my favorite bad guy it's
0: so funny let me tell you why
1: not only is he super intimidating, definitely shoots first, asks questions later, is not even not even apologetic about it. He showed up to this heist in the coziest outfit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he had he had on his his sweatshirt, he had on his joggers, he was ready for anything. Um I love that guy. I wish he would have I wish he would have made it to the end.
0: Yeah, he handles his terrorist situations like he does a long flight. It seems like <laughs> He got on his flight to LA and came late and was like, sorry guys, I wore sweatpants on the plane. I need to I don't have time to change. Let's just go. They were also
1: matching. It was like a set that he had bought. They were the same color top and bottom. I loved it.
0: Hank, gotta be comfy, cozy terrace.
1: He was also the guy that gave us the now I have a machine gun ho 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 scene. So
0: great. Which by the way, I bought our dad a t shirt that says that. I probably see him wear that at least once a week. Okay, (laughs) It is his favorite t-shirt of all time.
1: Uh, Do you have any other nitpicks, David?
0: No, I think think I've said my piece for why I love this movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, then that'll wrap us up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe so you get automatically updated when new episodes come out at wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy anything we talked about in the last hour or so, or if you just uh, really like Die Hard, come and uh, leave us a review and tell us about it. If you never watched Die Hard before, come and tell us your top three moments from the movie. Um, And if you want, tell your friends. If you do, uh, we will make David read it in a hilarious voice at the end of our episodes.
0: You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at AdaptedPod, mostly on Instagram, though. Uh, send us some more suggestions of what she would talk about at stuff at AdaptedPod.com. Special thanks to Catlo for the intro and outro music. Uh, the track is story of Mars and he's incredible. Go watch him or listen to him on Spotify. Yeah. So, Amanda, we've done our Christmas spectacular. Uh, what's coming up next?
1: Well, that will be the end of 2020 episodes for us. The next time you see us, we will be uh, a few weeks into 2021, and we will be starting our um, our winter-spring season. And we will be coming back from our break with Pride and Prejudice, a favorite of mine.
0: Fun stuff. I feel like at the new year, you last year, you made me watch like Little Women.
1: And do you Uh, regret it? Do you regret it, David? Was it not wonderful? It
0: was amazing. It was amazing. I will agree with you here. But like Pride and Prejudice, I have some sort of backstory on, okay? Like, (laughs) I don't, I feel like you're just going to make me read freaking old books at the start of the new year every year.
1: (laughs) We got to shake it up every once in a while. We can't just do spookies forever. Uh,
0: Fine. We can, uh, fine.
1: So tune in next time to hear all about how we rate that adaptation. We'll see you in a few weeks. We will have a couple of mini episodes coming out between now and then. Uh, But until then, I had a really, I had a fun idea for our outro, David. Oh. If you were working for the cable company and dubbing over the, um, the absolute iconic line from John McClane, when he finally kills Hans Gruber at the end, what would you change it to?
0: What would I change it to?
1: Yeah, to make it cable um cable safe. What does he say to Han right before he kills him? Um he says yippee-ki-yay. No, he doesn't say it then. Well, he says it a bunch of times in the movie.
0: Okay. So you're you're asking me what would I change the yippiekay um yeah. mother whatever. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well this yeah. is good because we're doing it on our podcast. Like I can't say yeah. the word right now because we don't you want can. that terrible
1: Exactly. We're not explicit here.
0: Yippee Kaye mother. Um, I don't know. I think I'd just go with. You Fudge haven't heard or, jokes like this. Like some... <laughs> well, what is it, Amanda? What is it? Give me yours. You're the funny um, one here.
1: My favorite one that I've heard is yippee kayak. Other buckets. <laughs> 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 that was my favorite. <laughs>